Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context and the new in the new covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Cross the Crown podcast. This is episode 31, and today we are diving into a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. So it's been a while since you've heard from us because of various uh, providential issues in life, but uh, I'm Chris Fails, and <laughs> this is my co-host, Doug Gooden. We're separated by miles uh, between each other, it's uh, he's in Colorado and I'm in San Diego, California. He's in Denver, Colorado, or not Denver, I'm sorry, Boulder. You held up that cup a while ago, that Denver Broncos cup, and that just got into my mind. Colorado Springs, Chris. I mean, Colorado, Colorado Springs, Springs, Colorado Springs. What did I just say? Boulder. Did I say Boulder? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just all over the map for you guys. <laughs> Oh, sorry about that. Hope it wasn't an insult to, to you in, in any way. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Well, uh, we are diving into a series on the, um, the Sermon on the Mount today, and been looking forward to this for a while. And we've actually, we're planning on doing it a while back, but we've had uh, some some things going on in our lives, uh, my life particularly, that has caused us to take a, a, about a month a uh, month off, at least at least a month off, and so we're jumping back in, and we appreciate your patience and uh, and and waiting with us. So, uh, Doug, what's going on with you? Well, yeah, it's been a full month. Um, I've missed missed you and missed these uh, podcasts. Just a lot going on. <laughs> I just got back, flew in last night from Omaha. I think we've discussed this in the past, but a couple mm-hmm. times a year, uh, three to four, actually, I head out to our district uh, office, and mm-hmm. we I'm on the licensing and ordaining council for our district. And uh, so we sat for three days interviewing men who were pursuing pastoral ministry and uh, grilling them with theological questions and uh, watching them sweat and see if they know how to answer their questions. So that was fun. Uh, it's, it's always encouraging when you have a group of, uh, of talented and, and gifted and knowledgeable men who, wanna, who want to uh, serve the Lord in this capacity. And actually, this time, the, the, the selection was pretty good. Sometimes, you know, we have a couple that you think, yeah, yeah we, we, we don't approve them, and we're thinking, yeah, not sure they have what it takes, and they've got a lot of work to do, and then come mm-hmm. back and sit before us. But uh, this time, they were all pretty strong, and just, that's encouraging. But yeah, just got back in last night, and uh, got up this morning, and uh, worked out, did legs. My legs are killing me. Thank you. I think it's, I'm gonna, I blame you. And uh, doing well, doing well. Hey, um, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how many how many people did you have for ordination this time? This time we had one, two, three, four, five, six. Six. Okay. And you didn't have any that you had to turn away. Not this time. Uh, no. Uh, and part of that is we've gotten better at the pre-screening. And the, the front end of stuff, because we realized, you know, it's a waste of our time and it's discouraging for them to show up and not be prepared. So we were trying to get ahead of that uh, as much as we can. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they were all, all really good. Uh, in fact, I would uh, look at all of them and think I, I would be happy to have them serve in my church and yeah. they were They're pretty strong. Right. right. Hey, let me ask you something, because this is a hot topic right now um, with ordination. I just saw an article uh, two articles that made me think about this is, is um, one, there's a Methodist pastor here in San Diego. Well, he, he was he was 
at a church in San Diego, and then he went uh, further up north and has just been um, uh, put in jail for, for, for sexual abuse uh, to some folks who were in those churches. And I, I saw an article about, and I didn't finish reading the whole thing about Southern Baptists. One, it wasn't from the Southern Baptist Convention, but it was a man who was who writes from a Southern Baptist point of view and everything that. And he was questioning and saying maybe Southern Baptists need to do a better job of ordination because of the fact that uh, it's it's not as because of the structure and ideology of of um, the ecclesiology of, of of a lot of Southern Baptist churches, getting licensed and ordained is not very difficult in the most Southern Baptist churches. I mean, well, it depends on the area too. Um, and they're wondering if there should be more than just a theological. Um, test whether or not they know their Bible or not, but but whether or not they can pass like a, a background check type thing. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, are, are people just being ordained just because of what they know too easily? Um, is it is it is it an ordinations committee to check on that or should that be the church that they're at that should be doing due diligence? And how do we how do we how do we go about that? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the scripture does not lay out uh, very clear ecclesiology on some of those things. Uh, the way we do it, I'm not sure I could defend biblically and say this is, well, I couldn't defend it and say this is absolutely required. Uh, there are some benefits to the way we do it and some detriments to the way we do it, I think. Um, but I will tell you this, our, our uh, process is pretty intensive. Yeah. Um, uh, we, in fact, one of the uh, candidates this week uh, was a gentleman who was ordained with the SBC, mm-hmm. and uh, then he had to go through our process for a what are called a sustaining of his ordination, mm. and he was uh, he was challenged because mm. our process is uh, much more intense than SBC. I think you know some deacons of the church basically laid hands on him and had him ask a few, yeah. answer a few questions for the SBC. For us, the process is you uh, you fill you so start start the journey. You uh, fill out an application that uh, has some pretty significant theological questions. And, and also experience and background. So we ask, and we do background checks right off the bat. Mm. Um, we do uh, police or uh, whatever the, the official, we check in your, your legal history. Have you been arrested for anything? Have you been charged with anything? That kind of thing. Um, and so we, we do that part. And then we, uh, we have elders of the church you're coming from fill out a pretty hefty evaluation and uh, share what they see in you and that kind of thing. And, uh, and it's a two to three year process for everybody. So you can get licensed right away. You can get licensed pretty quickly. Uh, you, you would come before. So we are council. There's uh, nine of us, and we're divided up geographically. So if you want to be licensed in our district, you would come and sit before a subsection of our council, and we would ask you a lot of character questions. We would dive in and try to get a sense of, you know, do you love your wife? Do you take care of your kids? Do you, uh, are you deceitful? Anything that we can, we can discern in, mm-hmm. in one interview is not going to be you know, a, a good deceiver will deceive us, but we're asking those kind of questions, lots of character, lots of family, a little bit of theology, but again, you're, you've already had to answer some of those in writing. So really we're trying to drill down into who is this guy? Do we mm-hmm. see any red flags in all those areas you were just describing? And then you're assigned a mentor and you've got two to three years to walk through mm-hmm. a lot of reading, a lot of papers, a lot of, uh, a lot of answering questions. Right. And, and, and it's all, uh, it's, it's theology, it's character, it's family, it's uh, physical health, emotional health, all those things. Just, is this guy ready to lead a church and be a, a shepherd in that sense? And then the last step is you come before the full council and answer two hours worth of theological questions. So in no way do we want to downplay the, uh, the biblical knowledge that's required, mm-hmm. but we want guys who are 
fit in every right. way. And I should add one of the requirements for those two to three years is at least 30 hours of Bible in an accredited institution. So uh, it's pretty, pretty involved right. process. And we've had folks come through compared to their processes. They're pretty surprised, yeah. especially if you look at, I'm part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Our statement of faith is very broad. There's mm-hmm. like 12 points on, a, on one flap right. of a, three, a, a threefold brochure. And then these guys come for their full coordination interview. And they're like, oh, there's a whole lot more to it. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the questions that you asked at the, this, this uh, uh, meeting and, and they're, they're, they're great, nice and intense. It gets you to think and draw out uh, potential errors that someone may have in their theology. Does, does, um, does the home church have to sign any type of uh, character statement? Uh, or? The elders do, yes. Yes, okay, they, good, uh, good. evaluate all a uh, variety of aspects of, yeah. uh, of the man's character and, uh, and abilities, the talents, skills, gifting, all those things. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's important to, to, to heed the words of the Scripture, not be hasty in laying hands on, on folks to, the, to uh, right. ordain them or to, to select them for ministry. I think uh, it's good that they live amongst the people uh, that they're that they're they're shepherding before for a good time before they they become elders of that church. Um, I think uh, one church I knew did did something I really liked when they were considering the eldership of someone. They announced it to the congregation and said, "Okay, he's we're giving a certain amount of time period, usually six months to a year." If you know any reason, if you have any doubts why this man should not be, please come see us, um, pull us aside, send us a message, whatever you want to do. But if you know for any reasons, whatever it might be, and uh, gives up people people an opportunity to speak up and say something in case uh, they feel like they've been wronged or the person has taught some error or whether his character has been seen to be flawed, uh, either in the church setting or even outside or you know, whatever they might need to bring before uh, they got just, you know, not they don't have warm fuzzies about the guy, whatever it might be. They can just just come to the elders later on and ask and ask questions about it. So I think that's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. I think we need to be a lot more selective, um, a lot more challenging when before we before we uh, uh, call someone pastor or elder and, and put them in that position. But, um, yeah, that's good. That's good. Before we dive into the uh, topic, why don't you share with our listeners uh, what's uh, been happening with your life in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, um, it's a, it, it was a bittersweet. Um, we've been talking about how uh, your father passed away a while back, and then mine was at the same time having a lot of health issues. He went on hospice care about six months ago. Um, if you haven't listened before, my father's a believer. He's been a pastor, an archaeologist, a filmmaker, uh, ton, tons of different things. And um, Christian professor, and uh, he has multiple sclerosis. He was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 40, 45 years ago, and um, he was given 10 years to live. And uh, during his memorial service this week, I, I, I said, uh, he's, he's given 10 years to live, but God gave him not just 10 years, but 35 more years. And at the time he was diagnosed, he, was only, he only had four kids. He ended up with six kids, and he ended up with 20 grandchildren altogether. So um, and stepchildren, step grandchildren. So he ended up with quite quite a quite a uh, a brood, but um, he packed those years with ministry. And um, uh, so two weeks ago, my dad went home to be with the Lord, and it was uh, an an incredible time because I got to be there with him and and hold his hand and literally literally cheer him on as he was taking his final breaths um, and uh, um, crossing that finish line. 
And so t- last weekend, I went up to Simi Valley and uh, conducted his, uh, his, his funeral service and his graveside service and uh, uh, shared with you a bit more about it. But it was just a wonderful experience. He said to me a couple months ago when we were talking about what he wanted said at his, his, his service, he said that he wanted me to preach his last evangelistic message for him. So I did so. I, I preached the gospel for him, and uh, it, it was a, a great time of, of doing so. A lot of people got to hear the good news, and uh, there were some unsaved folks in the congregation there, in the, in the group, and uh, it, it went very well. Um, I was just so overwhelmed with seeing how my dad passed with such confidence in the Lord, never once wavering, uh, no fear, no doubt. Um, he looked forward to it. He was looking forward to, the, to, to, to taking that step and crossing that line and falling into the arms of Jesus. So I was very grateful, grateful to be there and grateful to, to uh, conduct the service and to see so many people. I, was, I, I don't know if I've showed you this. Um, he left me his Bible. He, uh, it's, it was, it's the Bible. Um, he, <laughs> it's the Bible that he had since 1981, and all his other Bibles he's had after this, he, he copied notes out of this one and put it in the other. But it's, it's just— um, chalk full of of you can't really see it i don't think but it's chock oh, full yeah, with the of highlighting. notes and stuff and highlighting my one of my pastors said um it looked like crayola threw up in it um it's just uh markings and greek notes and archaeological notes and stuff like that but it's all through there so he left me that um and uh, i used that to preach his his messages from uh last weekend so that was a it was really neat and enjoyed it and blessing so but uh, thank you for asking. I thank everybody who's been praying. I asked uh, prayer uh, on Facebook to many of you who've listened, um, and and I appreciate the prayers for the family. We uh, everybody is is just receiving an abundance of comfort from the Lord and from other saints who are around us. So thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that's that's the model for both of us. For all of yes. us, uh, we want to go out that way. We want to, yes. We want people preaching the gospel and celebrating our home going and that's uh, right morning, but celebrating at the same time when right. our time comes. Right, right. Um, we we don't grieve as those who don't have hope. <laughs> right, yeah. right. All right. So we're diving into the Sermon on the Mount now. <clears throat> this is this is a, a passage which most people who have been Christians for a while are familiar with to a certain extent, and they think it's uh, it's pretty forward and straight cut. And for the most part, it is. But they to start getting some questions when we do this uh, thing where we fall into to systematic theology or we fall into a, a template um a theological camp so we start uh wondering wait a minute is this right what do, what did he mean by kingdom of, of heaven kingdom of god and and uh w- w- when does this happen or or various various things start to become skewed for our thought process when we look into this so uh this passage is not as difficult as some of the ones we're going to move into in the next few weeks but we're going to walk through this and uh uh, hopefully be able to break it open for you and you'll be edified by it and uh, feel free to, to contact us uh, if you've got any thoughts on it or questions as we go through these passages in the next few weeks but uh, Doug first let's start with asking some questions some some preliminary questions about the Sermon on the Mount what's what's um, what's so special about this message we see we see in Luke he gives a uh, a bridge version of it, if you will, or as some commentators might say that uh, uh, this was this was a sermon that may have been preached several times by Jesus, and Luke was recording one version of it, uh, a shorter version that was given, and this one right here is a longer version, or that Matthew collected many sermons and put them together. Um, uh, 
What what's so special about the Sermon on the Mount? Well, some people would say it's so special because it's the longest sermon in the uh, in the New Testament, and it's you know half the length that most of my sermons are. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's the it's the most complete uh, sermon we have, teaching we have from Jesus in one setting, mm -hmm. where he gathers the people around him and just talks and, right. and speaks. And you know the the easy explanation for why Luke's account is shorter and even divided up. We know, like any good teacher, Jesus did not just say something once and then assume everybody got it and move on. No, teachers repeat things right. over and over and over again. So the fact that he would have said all of these things in various settings makes perfect sense. But he's got this, this large group of disciples, way more than just the 12, large crowd that mm -hmm. followed him. He sits down on this mountain, which sitting was the, the posture of mm -hmm. teaching then. I, I tell my congregation every now and then that I, I, I want to go back to the old days where I get to sit and they all have to stand <laughs> while I'm preaching. But here he is sitting before these uh, many, many, many people, and, and they're hungry for the word. They're hungry to hear what, he's what he has to say. And he gives them basically the heart of what it means to be in his kingdom. Mm. And uh, we can develop that more as we go here. But that's, that, that's really what the, what the whole thing is about, is what does it mean to follow Jesus as king? And, and what is the character of the person in his kingdom? Let me ask you a question, because uh, there's there's a discussion that goes on sometimes between folks of different theological camps. Um, you know, we, we often refer to John the Baptist as the last Old Covenant prophet um, who was who was announcing the coming of the new the new uh, covenant, uh, the new age, as Jesus ushered it in, starting to preach that the kingdom of God had had come near. It was it was it was he was announcing that. Um, and some folks have actually assume that this this sermon is not necessarily for believers but it's for a uh it's it's for the pre new covenant inaugurated time period or some type of transition time period is this is this for us as believers in Christ Jesus as Christians is this is he speaking to us directly absolutely uh, there are portions as we go through here where we will draw out that He's got old covenant ideas in mind, and he's addressing those, and in some cases changing them, in some cases reinforcing them, that kind of thing. But this is for the kingdom, and we are in the kingdom. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 23 of Matthew, it says Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the mm -hmm. good news right. of the kingdom. The king has come mm -hmm. with Jesus is that kingdom right. that everyone was waiting for and we are in that kingdom in some sense now now we would we would say as theologians like to talk about the and now and not yet or the already and not yet there's a tension there it, 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 there's the full consummation of the kingdom we're waiting for but it has come in some form because the king has come you and i are in the kingdom right. therefore when jesus says this is what it's like to be in my kingdom that's for you and me. So this is not this is not for Jews. This is not for future Jews or Gentiles. This is for everybody in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, it, when when he's when he's coming, he's he's announcing a kingdom that they to some extent were expecting. Um, many of them had a had a, a wrong view of what that kingdom would be. So when Jesus is announcing the coming, the good news of the kingdom, 
he's speaking here though when he when he goes up on this mountain he starts speaking he's speaking to people who are under the old covenant and so we have to understand that his words i mean for most of us gentiles you know we've never been under the old covenant um we 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 get saved and we read this passage and it's they're wonderful words but we got to understand that in the context he was speaking to old covenant folks and so a lot of what he's going to say uh, was shocking to them uh was was something that would have put their jaw on the ground and so we need to come to this passage these passages with that kind of understanding that this was just um an incredible uh, an incredible announcement that he was making here in these words uh, he's 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 inaugurating something different but yet reaching back to the past as well let me ask you um there's there's a lot of if you start reading Matthew you quickly realize he's got a theme going on here of fulfillment he's setting up Jesus in the very first passages as the the new Israel but we're also seeing this theme developed of uh, the new Moses as well. Do we see that right here with him going up on the mountain right here with the crowd? Yeah, it's no accident that Jesus preaches this uh, on a mountainside. Uh, again, as you said, he is the new Moses. He's the, the fulfillment of what Moses was. And Moses went up and received the, uh, the instructions from God and, and relayed those to mm-hmm. God's people. And Jesus is doing the same thing. He's on a mountain standing before them and telling them now that the fulfillment, the word you used a moment ago, which Matthew uses, I forget, 27 times yeah, or something. Yeah. Uh, now that the fulfillment of everything God was doing in the old covenant has come, it's all pointed to me and I am your lawgiver now. I'm fulfilling what Moses right. uh, started and now listen to me. Yeah, uh, Moses had told the folks that uh, they were to look for a prophet that was going to be greater than him. You know, it's interesting, uh, this phrase right here for, for he went up on the mountain that's used three times in the Greek Old Testament, and each time that phrase is used, it's referred to Moses himself going up to Mount Sinai. So there's a—and, and of course, uh, during the time of Christ, a lot of the Jews were using the, the, the Greek Old Testament, so they would have caught this phrase much easier than what we do nowadays. Um, he's, he's directly using verbiage they would have understood, having gone into synagogue or, or teaching and, and heard that phrase used over and over about Moses going up on a mountain. They would have caught this phrase really easy. Matthew's trying to tell us something. Matthew's trying well, to imagine, point us imagine being that first group. Oh, yeah. They've been taught their entire lives the story of Moses mm-hmm. on the mountain, mm-hmm. hearing from God and proclaiming the law of God. Mm-hmm. And now here's this rabbi that's already got their attention through his healing yep. and his miracles, and he's up on a mountain. Some of them would have definitely got it. Some, right. some would have, but some would have definitely seen the association and thought, hey, here's our new Moses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the crowds are surrounding him. They, they, the, 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 he saw the crowds. He goes up on a mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Is he speaking in this? Do you think he's speaking to the entire crowd that, that's gathered, or is he speaking directly? Uh, I think it was a where was it? It was a video I saw him one time trying to reenact this, and where he he's speaking not to the entire uh, multitudes around him. He's speaking directly to those disciples that were traveling with him. Is he speaking to the? You think he's speaking to the whole entire crowd, or he's speaking just to the disciples that he that are his actual followers? Uh, well, the crowd, because in chapter eight, when uh, when after the sermon, it says uh, Jesus came down from the mountain, uh, well, it says they were amazed. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, at the end of chapter seven, right. Jesus finished these words and the crowds were amazed mm-hmm. at what he's saying. So that's that's beyond just the 12 right. or even the fewer that were following him. 
Yeah, yeah. Have you you you've been to Israel, right? I have not. Oh, that's right. We were talking about that. Mm, mm, we should okay. do a cross the ground tour. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, you, there's there's a lot of traditional sites uh, in Israel for for this and that, and uh, the, you don't know whether they're the actual site or not. But they took us up on a hillside um, in Galilee, where they believe is the traditional site for it, and uh, uh, they encouraged folks to go up on there and start reading Matthew chapter five, at least the Beatitudes from there. And it's incredible how your voice carries so well in certain areas. Um, this one particular place where they believe that the sermon was preached at, uh, it just it just carries and rolls down the hill side. Now, of course, it's a hill and not a mountain, and that's I think what we're, what the 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 word really means is 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 hill, if I remember right. Um, uh, not we're not thinking about these these you know huge huge mountainous uh mountains. Like i'm looking at right now <laughs> yeah huge mountainous yeah. mountains yeah more like more like the hills that i have out here right here at my house so because <laughs> yeah, i'm in colorado springs and uh pike's peak is right over there so oh, okay. that's not what we're talking about he didn't go to the top of that you know but, but you know i'm <laughs> but i'm from st louis missouri originally and you know the ozarks are hills yeah. Yeah. and people call them mountains sometimes yes. so yes people still uh mistake that <laughs> All right, so he begins to preach and or to teach, saying, um, and let me just go ahead and read these Beatitudes first. Let's go through the Beatitudes first. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So um, just, a, just a little quote from one of our favorite theologians as he began to dive into this section. D.A. Carson said, Beatitudes are kingdom blessings, and Beatitudes themselves are kingdom norms. So he's trying to point to the the dual function that they have. They're blessings, but they're also norms uh, in in the way that, uh, like for instance, showing mercy, um, being pure in heart, etc. So I always D. A. Carson quotes got to throw those in. But <laughs> what is we see this word blessed over and over here? It's not a word we typically go around saying nowadays, uh, unless somebody sneezes. So is there? And I've heard so many sermons where so much is trying to is 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 drawn out of that one word uh mr greek scholar tell us about this word blessed that's used over and over in this passage yeah some translations will translate it happy and that the way we use happy today doesn't quite get it right uh it, it's a it's a more profound deeper uh sense than that uh we think about one of the reasons this is so hard for us is because we well, you already used one example. We bless you when somebody sneezes. Uh, people say bless the food. Uh, well, in one sense, I can't bless the food. I'm right. I'm in no to bless food. Uh, but we have seen the scripture both us receiving blessing from God, His His favor given to us, kind of thing, and then we also see us blessing Him. Think about Ephesians chapter one, or Paul says, "Blessed be the God." We, he's prescribing a blessing toward God. So if we think of blessing as someone who's superior giving some kind of favor to one who's inferior, then you think, well, how, how can we bless God and all that? 
the word is is more if we think a little bit about uh, at least for me it's helpful to think a little bit about praise. Mm-hmm. And again, we 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 don't often think of God praising men, but He does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter writes in one of his epistles that on the, that day when Jesus returns, when we're with Him, He will actually praise us right. uh, for our good works. And people theologians could get all bent out of shape over that. Of course, <laughs> all of our good works are the result of his grace in our lives. Right, so it's not right. like to say, yes, bring it on, bring it on, give me more, because I'm, I'm worthy of all your praise, Lord. Right. But he is going to say out loud, well done, this is what I called you to do, and by my power you did it. So uh, praise, approval, that kind of uh, idea is what's wrapped up here, where uh, what Jesus is saying is you are praiseworthy in a sense, uh, if we keep that into proper context, you are approved. You are um, you are doing well. You're worthy of of commenting on if you do these things or you are these things. So maybe uh, I, I know Carson likes the word approval, uh, praise. If we can keep right. that away from purely doxology kind of thing, neither of those kind of capture the point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the first one is 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 blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke just records blessed uh, blessed are the poor, um, and, and many would say that uh, that uh, Matthew is here qualifying that, uh, helping you understand what poor is talking about. And it's, and it's not a discussion of the poor is not a common thing, even in the Old Testament. Um, it's someone who's destitute, someone who is is bankrupt. Um, who has nothing and was dependent upon people's mercy and kindness uh, to, to for their for their living, um, and here Matthew is 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 drawing attention to to the poor in spirit. So these are people who are destitute, spiritually bankrupt. Um, they are totally dependent upon God. Uh, so the poor in spirit in that way. Um, am I hitting it right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think we need to, to make sure that we understand what it doesn't mean. Um, when people hear what you just said, destitute, bankrupt, before God, that kind of thing, it's easy to think this means melancholy. Um, mm-hmm. I just walk through life, gross and oh, woe is me, kind of Eeyore mm-hmm. complex, you know, everything's going to be awful, and I, I'm just no good, and nobody's any good, that kind of thing. That's not it. Uh, the scripture also says we are to be with, you know, the spirit it fills us. He fills us with joy. So mm-hmm. to, to walk around with gloomy faces, and Jesus will address this later on. When you're fasting, for instance, don't walk right. around with gloomy faces. So poor in spirit does not mean I'm, I have a pessimistic view of life. Poor in spirit means I realize the poverty I have before God. It, it really gets at the idea of, of the... Uh, the publican who's there next to the Pharisee in the, in the other story that Jesus tells where the Pharisee says, I thank God that I'm not like this poor publican here. I tithe and I do everything right. And the publican just won't even look, he won't even raise his eyes to the altar. He says, I'm not worthy to receive anything but judgment from the Lord, and yet he has shown me mercy. So the poor in spirit is that kind of uh, idea where I recognize there is no good reason for God to accept me, to approve of me, to bless me, uh, and, and I'm repentant. I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, pride is the furthest thing from my mind. I come before the Lord purely as a needy man, mm-hmm. and I received His forgiveness, and, and I'm blessed uh, if if I do that. Yeah, yeah. 
do you do you uh, are you familiar with the connection here between this and, and Isaiah sixty one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lowly, yeah. the contrite, uh, the lowly in spirit, all those kind of phrases. Right, right, right. Uh, it's a uh, it's neat because of the fact that you know you've got uh, this passage quoted in Luke chapter four, Isaiah sixty one. It's quoted in Luke chapter four when Jesus is announcing his uh, ministry, uh, and then here in the in the Sermon on the Mount, he's he's talking about the kingdom coming, and he's he's using the phraseology of this passage. Uh, showing that he's the fulfillment of that passage, and, and he's brought that time upon us now. Let me ask you about this next phrase, because um, this, this is maybe one of the most uh, controversial ones uh, in the Beatitudes, is the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Is that a future kingdom? Uh, is it a millennial reign? Is it now? Uh what should what should saints be looking for when they're poor in spirit and the kingdom of heaven is theirs? Yeah, great question and crucial to this passage because this phrase uh, is brought up again at the end of the Beatitudes, um, mm-hmm. where he says it again at verse... Uh, verse 10. It? Verse 10. Uh, 10, yes. Forbes and Inclusio. Uh, yeah. Inclusio is a Greek construction that uh, kind of puts bookends to tell you what the primary, the, the major point of a section is. And actually, when we come to the end of chapter 7, we see it repeated again, the idea of the kingdom of God. So that tells us this entire sermon is about what it means to be in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And it's, uh, the answer to your question is, it's, is yes. This is both now and not yet. This is both... Mm-hmm. Uh, the we live in the kingdom now, as I said earlier. So it's the kingdom belongs to you and to me and to everyone who's listening if they are truly poor in spirit. Uh, we haven't arrived at the fulfillment of the, the fully consummated kingdom yet, but it's as sure as can be. This is the reason why your father could have such joy right. in his last days, because he knew he was already in the kingdom. He had tasted of it. He was certain of it. The Holy Spirit had sealed him as a down payment. But we're still all waiting for the final fulfillment. And even your dad is waiting because what we're waiting for is the resurrected body. So when we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. But we're waiting for the resurrection when we will walk in the new heavens and new earth and experience the uh, unmediated kingdom of God and and all the remnants of sin being taken away. But we have the down payment of that now. So I live in the kingdom. You live in the kingdom. It's just not fully disclosed and consummated yet, but we should think of ourselves as, yes, walking uh, as members of the king, kingdom. Okay. Um, I'm going to come back to another question I have that's going to connect uh, a question that is often asked about three and four, but I'll come back to that in a minute because I want to look at four real quick here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Are we talking about someone who's uh, weeping here, or what kind of mourning is that? What, uh, what, do, we, what do we mean? Because you usually think of, of mourning as in, for instance, when someone passes away and they're in mourning over that, uh, when they when they have loss. So so what kind of loss is it that's experienced here, if that's what it's talking about? Yes, as we, as we look at the entire teaching of this sermon and what Jesus really was concerned about, what's he concerned about? He's concerned about righteousness. We're going to mm-hmm. see that over and over again. Mm-hmm. He's concerned about people repenting of their sin, coming with that poor in spirit mentality, and pursuing the kingdom of righteousness and the mm-hmm. kingdom of God and serving. 
So that leads me to believe that the mourning that he's concerned about is a weeping over sin, mm -hmm. a weeping over our failure to be righteous people. So it could be, there's a sense in which it's, it's my unrighteousness that I should mourn over, but also the righteousness of, uh, of all mankind. You know, we look at our culture and uh, it's easy to see like the abortion issue right mm -hmm. now with uh, the stuff going on in Alabama and other states as they're trying to pass these heartbeat laws and, and then the reaction against that, it's very easy for us as Christians to slip into the entire political aspect of this. And, and, and we should. We should vote for this. And, and I would love to see Roe v. Wade overturned and, and abortion mm -hmm. eradicated. But before we get there, we should mourn. We, it, it, we, it should cause us to weep in our hearts that we live among a people who do not understand that 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 womb is carrying a body and that we're killing these babies and and, and of course that applies to all kinds of other sins uh, you think of isaiah when he sees jesus on the throne in, uh, in uh, isaiah 6 and he says i'm undone i'm a man of unclean lips and he doesn't stop with himself he says and i live among a people, people of yep. unclean lips i'm undone woe is me uh, we should be the kind of people who see the kingdom of righteousness and the kingdom of unrighteousness and weep right. at the kingdom of unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. So so um, they should be comforted. This harkens back to Isaiah again. You're going to see so much of the the Old Testament here, uh, fulfillment being, again, fulfillment being a theme. Um, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, comfort, comfort. My people, says God, and this is, this is a fulfillment. Christ is fulfilling this by bringing comfort to those who are, um, poor in spirit, those who are mourning. Let me ask you, is, is this, here, here's one of the things that I've heard in the past, especially when I was younger from certain preachers, with these two beatitudes are the conversion beatitudes, that these are the, the, the someone who's repentant over their sin and comes to Christ, and then the rest of the beatitudes would be um, sanctification beatitudes. What are your thoughts on that? No, 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 no. That's reading uh, too much systematic theology into this uh, message. This is for those who are in the kingdom. Uh, all of it is, and you know, we we must continue to be poor in spirit. Right. The moment you and I decide I don't really need God anymore, I got this righteousness thing down. I'm worthy. We're showing that we do, we've lost the gospel. We don't really believe it. And if we don't mourn over our own sin, the sins of others, mm -hmm. then we've forgotten the gospel. So that right. we all need to be this way and think this way and uh, and and it gives us hope now we'll be comforted you know as we look out at our land and we do weep over it there's a sense in which we we get comfort knowing the lord does overturn things who knows i mean would it blow your mind it blow my mind if roe v way was overturned yes just absolutely mm. blow our mind <laughs> and we would have to weep tears of joy at that point yeah. and then what's going to happen It'll come back again, and we'll start killing babies again if that were to happen. That's just the nature of living this side of consummation. Ultimately, we'd be entirely comforted because it'll all be gone. Uh, but that's the here and now and the future. Right, right. So then he goes on um, in number five, or verse 5. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Um, when we think of humble, sometimes we have a, an image of... Um, um, some man walking over stooped, um, barely raising his voice, um, who, and sometimes you may have a, even a, 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 a coward in mind, a, someone who 
backs off from any type of conflict. What what is what does the word humble in this passage mean? Yeah, humble isn't uh, isn't my favorite translation of this word, uh, which I know the HDSB is using humble. <laughs> uh, my NASB here is not much better, gentle, because again, gentle mm-hmm. doesn't quite get at it either. It's normally translated meek. Meekness, yeah. But nobody uses meek anymore. We no. don't know what that means, so they're trying to find another way. But I, I would prefer to, to relearn what meekness is. Mm-hmm. Be careful on the front end that we do not uh, equate meekness with weakness. Right. Uh, Moses was called the meekest man who ever lived, and Jesus called himself meek, meek. and mild. We, we sing that every Christmas, right, in the, in the <laughs> silent night, meek and mild. Um, and neither Jesus nor Moses were in any way weak in, right. in terms of uh, pushovers and doormats and uh, un- unwilling to say the hard things. So that's not what it is. It's not mm-hmm. weakness. But meekness is, um, you know, controlled power. It's, right. it's uh, a meek person doesn't need to prove himself. He isn't concerned about his reputation. Uh, he doesn't use his strength to hurt others, to destroy others, to protect his own reputation, image, those kind of things. Uh, his his whole mindset is how do I help others? Right, and, and that's where there is some overlap with the idea of humility. Humility is others centered, and and I'm not here to be served, but to serve others. But it's a it's a slightly different tangent of uh, I might be very very strong, and I should be strong, and I I you know in in calling people to repentance or pointing out their sin or whatever. But the goal is to help them not to to react to how this is going to reflect on me. As pastors, uh, you know, I run into this all the time as a pastor, uh, the challenge of needing to call out sin, or if someone accuses me, trying to navigate what's the right response here and, and get my own reputation out of the way and, and say, okay, I don't care what people think of me so much, but what's best for them? Do I need to defend myself? Do I need to let it go? Whatever. And so I see with Jesus, we see him at times be very clear about the sins of others and uh, at times defending himself whenever mm-hmm. the, the, his reputation is at stake in the sense that people will not follow him if they get the wrong impression. But never was it just, hey, you need to think more highly of me. He, he didn't care about that in the way that a prideful man does. Right. So if we would we say that the first two Beatitudes there, the poor in spirit, the mourning, our attitudes toward God. Um, this one would be more directed as a as a attitude toward others. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and the image that comes to my mind is uh, Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. If you think of the power and the mm-hmm. strength mm-hmm. of Aslan, and then when he invites the children to come pet him, that's mm-hmm. meekness. Mm-hmm. Like I have the power to crush you, but it's not what it's about. Right. I'm, I'm gentle. I'm tender. I'm, I'm welcoming. I will use my power when necessary, but for good, not just to flex my muscle. And, and that should be our attitude as well uh, with others. Yes. Just a side note. You just made me remember something. Um, if you if you've um, never never listened to this before, it's really a good treat. We I downloaded the um, uh, the audible version of the magician's nephew. Read by Kenneth Brog, Bron, I always mess his name up. Bronick, Bronick. How do you say his name? Oh yeah, he yeah. Re- he read it. Oh, he read it. He does an incredible oh, job yeah. with an array of voices that don't even sound like it's coming out of his mouth. But uh, he did a great job. We listened to that as we were driving around last week, and it just it was a lot of fun. Um, not only because of the story, but because of, because of his his um, 
his 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 talent. But it's it's so apparent who Aslan is, and that even my kids in the background are going, "Is he supposed to be Jesus?" Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's obvious. Yes, yes. Um, let uh, me ask. Notice, about, go ahead. I was going to say, were you going to go to the uh, the result of being meek? Yes, that's uh, what I was going to ask you. Inherit the earth, because we just got this whole thing with about the kingdom of heaven uh, being theirs. And then all of a sudden, and, and again, you said that forms an inclusio. So where does inherit the earth get thrown into this? Are we talking about now a kingdom on earth, a millennial kingdom now, uh, a thousand years or what? What is, is, what is this whole thing? Well, there's nothing here about the millennium, so I'm going to save <laughs> that debate for another discussion. But either way, if you're pre-millennial or amillennial, uh, post-millennial for that matter, you should be looking forward to ultimately a new heavens and new earth, because that is what is repeatedly said in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that we're waiting for. And uh, so one day, the, the, the contrast here is, is clear, that there are people who want to go conquer the world and take it for themselves and, and flex their, their muscle and have power. At the end of the day, they are not the ones who will get the earth. Mm-hmm meek right those who say it's not my strength it's the lord's strength mm-hmm. we will someday inherit the earth and we will rule over all the others and whatever that looks like whatever that means mm-hmm. um, again we can take a whole lot of time diving into some of the other passages but but don't get distracted for now with all the other passages that are, are harder to understand what jesus is saying here is the way for you to take control of this world this earth as, as Adam representatives, uh, you know, kind of going back to the way he was originally created to conquer and to do this earth, the way to do that is to have that spirit of meekness mm-hmm. where it's not me, ultimately, it's the, it's the power of Jesus going to enable me to conquer this world. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, for those of you who might be taking notes and, and who are enjoying the references back to the Old Testament, uh, for this passage, I encourage you to look at Psalm 37. Uh, you got three passages there, verse 9, 11, and 29, I believe, where, um, and it's a messianic psalm, as, as people like to label these, and think it's all about him, but um, but uh, they'll, they'll, it'll, it'll mention several times about the inheritance of the land, uh, and for, for those who can cross-reference that and, and understand that Hebrews talks about how the, the land is not just Israel situation there, that, that Abraham was looking for a better country, uh, a heavenly one. And um, uh, we, we find over, skip over to Revelation 21, new heavens and a new earth. And that word earth right there uh, in the Greek is the same word that we're looking at right here. So I think it's pointing forward to that, right? Uh, inheriting the new heavens and the new earth in that regard. Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Now this one, if you stop right there, I'm definitely there. That's me. That's me right there. But... <laughs> But uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, hunger and thirst. Uh, I mean, I, it draws up, if, you, if you're an Old Testament person, you're, you're thinking of uh, Psalms again, where, um, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts after you. Um, about hungering for the word of the Lord. Uh, what, what is, what is, what is, is that the aim right here to, to, to understand that these are things that are needed for, for life, um, hungering and thirsting after that, which is necess- necessary or um, uh, some great desire? Is that what the, we're going after here? 
Yeah, that's the reason he uses hunger and thirst. You know, most of us, certainly, I would guess that most of our listeners have never truly been hungry and thirsty in the way that his original audience would have been. You know, we, we fast by choice, the new, newest uh, nutritional fad, or we fast by, uh, you know, some uh, spiritual pursuit. But for these folks, there were plenty of times when uh, it was an ongoing uncertainty as to when their next meal would come and traveling, walking from uh, Jerusalem to Galilee. Uh, there may, there weren't, they didn't have water bottles filled with water that they could just take along for everybody the way we do and stop and, and get to the drinking fountain at the gas station or whatever. They might uh, really thirst for, for hours and days at times, certainly hunger for days, and, and create that, that sense of where their body is the, the, the only preoccupation, the only thing that their body is wanting right now is nourishment. Mm-hmm. And that sense, that feeling is what he's saying that uh, we're blessed if that's our desire, that, that kind of intensity for righteousness, right. for, for obedience to our king. And, uh, you know, it's sad when so many Christian teachers downplay obedience. Mm-hmm. When and this, this has happened throughout the history of the church, and certainly in the, in the last generation or two, there's just this hyper grace idea, this 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 elevation of of grace to the detriment mm-hmm. of you know the, the, putting faith and works against each other kind of thing, and and really uh, because we don't want to be judgmental and we don't want to be arrogant and condemning of sinners, e- even Christians who are in sin, uh, there's a, a hesitance a reluctance to really call sin, sin, except mm-hmm. for the worst kind. And yet Jesus here is saying, if you're in my kingdom, you have such a, a, a desire for righteousness that mm-hmm. you cannot help but want to be more righteous right. and, help, and for others to be more righteous. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's who we are. And again, he, notice he doesn't say just you should be more righteous. That, that, that's true. But the way he describes it here is because you are in the kingdom, because you understand the kingdom, because you understand your king, who is the king of righteousness, by the way, you so want to please him that it, your body aches to get rid of the sin in your life and to become more righteous. Okay. So let me throw some questions at you on this verse because there's some controversy that comes up or misunderstandings that come up. Um, you know, hungering, thirsting for righteousness, they will be filled. Um is this justification? Are we not then talking about justification in this passage? This verse, this beatitude applies just to the point of conversion, or is this a different type of righteousness? You already hit upon it, I know. But um, is this a different type of righteousness rather than initial justification? Um, and and how are we to be? Are we be, are we be being filled over and over, or what? what what's the what's the understanding here for this passage in that regard? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any way uh, in the text, in the context, to limit it to justification and the righteousness that we get uh, at conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, again, those are those are theological categories that have their place in, mm-hmm. in certain discussions, but here we need to, to not read those back into the text. The whole imagery is, I have this inner desire to be righteous and to pursue righteousness, and I, I will, I will be filled that thirst. I, I'll, I'll get to drink. I'll yeah. be thirsty, and I get to drink. Well, that happens. That happens now, just like the comfort and uh, for the mourners. 
um, that happens now as I, I see uh, a temptation that I give into and I hate that and I long to be righteous and not give into that temptation and I thirst for that righteousness and the Lord allows me, gives, empowers me by his spirit to overcome that temptation and I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. I'm full and I'm no longer walking in unrighteousness in that area. Oh, but wait, now there's this thing over here, mm-hmm. or it's a new day, and now I'm thirsty again to be righteous, and, and I see that I'm not righteous there, and I, the, the Spirit of God gives me the ability to overcome temptation and become righteous there, and I'm filled. And what we're waiting for is the ultimate consummation of this kingdom, where all that temptation will be done away, it'll be past history for us, and we will be entirely satisfied and never be hungry mm-hmm. and thirsty again be full. Uh, so it's, again, it's that now, not yet. We, we get little fillings, our thirst is quenched, but then we get thirsty again. Someday we won't. That verb right there um, is, is to be filled is, is a passive verb. What's the implications of that? Uh, at the end of the day, we should seek the filling, but we can't actually do the filling. Mm-hmm. It's got to be done to us by someone right. else. Right. So it's not us who are hungry and thirsting. We do righteousness, and therefore we're filling up our own righteousness. It's our own works, and, and, and it's us, basically, who have, uh, um, uh, in a justification sort of way, we're talking about um, being, being satisfied or being, being filled by God and not by our own self-righteousness in a way. Yeah, I mean, again, we can divorce those. We can, uh, yes. So the, the point of what you're saying is we can't just muster up our own strength and be righteous. Right, right. At the same time, it is our, we are pursuing righteousness right, in right. ourselves exactly. by the power of the Spirit. Uh, so it's, it's a both and. We are to pursue it, but mm-hmm. but seek the power of God to overcome, not just mm-hmm. our own strength of will. Right, exactly. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Who's who's showing the mercy though? <laughs> what, uh, you know what? Actually, let's do this first. Let's talk about mercy, because it's a word that I find that a lot of people do not understand. Um, it's it's mixed up and it's very, it's unfortunate, but it's just being used less and less where they have no concept of what mercy actually means. So what what does mercy mean? And especially in this context, blessed are the merciful. Um, so merciful is uh, sometimes described as looking on someone with pity, and the idea is they they've done something where they deserve mm-hmm. uh, correction, condemnation. They they've done something wrong, and instead of giving them the the penalty they deserve, you withhold that penalty, mm-hmm. and so you're you're merciful. Now that that spills over to other contexts as well. I would broaden it a, a bit and just say your your attitude toward it is you're not going to treat everybody the way they deserve in negative sense. Okay. Which is not quite the same thing as gift and as grace, which we, we often use those terms interchangeably. But any anything you do for somebody else that's, that's kind and generous is a gift. It's, it's grace. They don't, they, there's no obligation to give this. You just give it. But mercy usually is something they don't deserve. What they deserve is law. They deserve wrath. They deserve judgment. They deserve rebuke. They deserve some kind of penalty, some kind of negative consequence. And you say, I'm going to be kind and, and forgiving of that. And so these people will be shown mercy, and that's by God. Is this, a, is this a this for that type 
situation. Uh, you be merciful, and therefore God will be mercy. Are we earning mercy from God by being merciful? Yeah, this uh, comes up later in the, uh, the sermon. I mean, the uh, Lord's Prayer uh, in Matthew's version, he it ties something similar to the end of that uh, the prayer. Uh, I don't think so, because if that's true, then it's the only true tit for tat in the entire uh, <laughs> scripture, and uh, that would change a lot of our theological positions. If we again think about the the broader point here, these people who are in God's kingdom, this is the kind of people they are. Right. So if you are in the kingdom of righteousness, if if you are a follower of Jesus and His His Spirit has done the work in your heart, uh, you are going to be a merciful person because you've received mercy already. Therefore, you will show mercy to others. Uh, you know, Jesus told the story of the, the guy who was forgiven a billion dollars and he goes out and somebody owes right. him 10 bucks and he has him arrested and thrown in jail and says, you wicked man, I forgave mm -hmm. you of all of this and, and you won't forgive a guy 10 bucks. So clearly he did not understand his own failure, his own sin, his own debt and what mercy had been shown. That's not the heart of someone who's truly in the kingdom. Someone who's truly in the kingdom says, I want to be merciful to you because I have received so much mercy and because then that heart has been changed and we're kingdom people, God will show us mercy uh, because he shows all of his people mercy. So it's not a, it's not a tit for tat kind of thing, but it's uh, what kind of people receive God's mercy, those who are merciful, because that shows that they have uh, truly seen the kingdom for what it is. Yeah, that goes back to the poor in spirit and, and those who mourn as well. Um, right. It definitely goes with the next one with uh, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Uh, what does it mean, pure in heart? It's a, such a vague term. It is, and uh, you know, we see purity, and today we we think of purity almost exclusively in terms of uh, sexual purity, yeah. and that would be included here. But that that's not quite the point. Uh, uh, don't hear me; it's not okay to to have impure thoughts. But <laughs> it, it goes even even deeper than that. The idea of something that's pure in in the way this Greek word is used is something that's not mixed. If you think of pure gold. Mm -hmm. Something is pure gold. There's nothing else in it. There's no dross. There's no uh, filler. It's, it's it's only gold. And mm -hmm. the heart is the seat of everything. We think of heart as just emotions today. You know, I love you with my heart. It means I feel good about you. If I love you with my mind, I'm thinking about you, whatever. But in uh, in New Testament categories and Jewish categories, the heart was really the the whole inner man, almost every your your feel your emotions, your will, your desires, your your mind, all those things. And he's saying. Blessed is the one who has is, has no mixture in his wants and his desires, pursuits, and thoughts. He is just focused on God. It, it's similar to what Paul says in Philippians. Set your mind on these things, things above, and, and don't mix it with the things down here below. So a pure and heart person is someone who is, uh, dare I say it, intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. <laughs> there's, there's, there's nothing else in there, in your inside, except how do I please Jesus and serve Jesus and love Jesus and live for Jesus is all I want to do. And he says the uh, the blessing for those of us who get there, we shall see him. Mm. Uh, because that's who Jesus is. Yeah. And if, if that's our one desire, we will get to see him. Yeah. Now, none of us, again, the now, not yet, none of us will reach this status where we will have no mixture whatsoever. But that's the goal. And we should always be thinking uh, when those thoughts pop in my head that are not on Jesus and pleasing to Jesus, and when they are sinful and sexual and sensual and, and greedy and all the other things that we should avoid, I want to eradicate those from my thinking 
and have my desires and will and my thoughts all toward Jesus. Yeah. When I was preparing for this, I was I was trying to get my my, my mind into the mind of a of a of a first century old covenant Jew who was hearing this, and this promise uh, would have blown my mind uh, mm. as a, as a as a first century uh, old covenant Jew. See God. You know, you think back when Moses went up on his mount uh, and came down veiled because of the glory, and it was frightening. Um, when when the people hid because they didn't want to be in the presence of God. Um, when you go to the, the, the temple to offer sacrifices, you didn't go into the holiest of holies because you were not to see the presence of God. So now Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And that's just, that's just staggering. And that, that was it's an incredible promise uh, and blessing for those who are in the new kingdom. This is a new covenant promise. This is not an old covenant. This is a very sharp distinction between old and new covenant here. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it, it should blow all of our minds. We are going to see him mm -hmm. if we are pure in heart. John says this in first John three, mm -hmm. see how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are, for this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. See, there's the already not yet. We mm -hmm. are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself mm -hmm. just as he is pure. So we want to see him. How do we get there? We we are pure in our heart. We're unmixed with anything else other than serving, loving, following Jesus, and someday we will see him face to face. Blessed are the peacemakers. And uh, I always think of that new ministry that's been around for like the last 15 years now, the peacemaker ministry. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Um, what kind of peacemakers are we talking about here? I, I hear this, this, this used in a variety of ways, and it's it tends to be used uh, to fit a uh, an agenda, maybe, um, for instance, evangelism um, or to uh, disputes amongst brothers and sisters, um, various things. So what, how do we understand this, this passage, peacemakers? Yeah, I would say it can include those, mm -hmm. uh, but it's, the idea is uh, God doesn't like strife. He's never liked strife. In the Old Covenant, some very clear teaching there that uh, uh, when, when brothers, when people are in unity, that pleases him. He doesn't want us to treat others the way they deserve. He wants us to treat them with mercy and grace and kindness. Now, there is a difference. We need to be clear on the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. Uh, peacekeeping is uh, oftentimes uh, just getting beat up. It's, it's, it's avoiding conflict at all costs, trying to keep the peace. And actually, that doesn't usually keep peace. Uh, peacemaking sometimes means you have to stand up to a bully, someone mm -hmm. who's abusing their power. Uh, but the goal is we want peace. We want there to not be war and conflict. Uh, we want people to get along. Uh, and ultimately, that's what that's what I mean, God's the ultimate peacemaker. Uh, we were at war with him. We weren't getting along with him. He was against us. We were against him. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came and created peace on the cross so that we can be reconciled to him. We can be friends with him. He, God says, I'm no longer angry at you. We say, I'm no longer angry at you, God, and, and we're going to be peaceful now. And uh, Paul uses in Ephesians 2 this idea that Jews and Gentiles were 
at mm-hmm. war against one another. Mm-hmm. And now in Christ, that enmity has been taken away and there should be peace there where we can be friends and, and uh, of the same family in Christ. That should be our attitude with, with everybody. Uh, yeah, there's a place to stand. There's a place to fight. There's a place to mm-hmm. stand for truth and those kind of things. And we see you know, New- Jesus himself and Paul and others doing that. But our mindset should be slow to create conflict. We don't like conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of us who are, you know, as we point out differences with other schools of thought, and we, we, we argue and debate with uh, other Christian theologians and things, our goal should never be to stir the pot so that there is conflict. Right. The goal is truth and righteousness and peace where possible. Paul says this, be at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. Sometimes we have to fight, but those should be uh, should not be our desire. Is there the idea also behind it um, as a peacemaker, someone who interjects themselves into the conflicts other than what he necessarily is involved in to try to resolve and to bring about peace? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do this. I'm going to do this a- this afternoon right. uh, between a husband and wife. Yeah, uh, right, right, not, right. It's not in right. right now, and I, I want to step in there and say, hey, let's let's talk through this and find out how we can get rid of the conflict, and you right. guys have peace with one another. Right, right. Now, again, I would also see it in a, the evangelistic side too, because the fact that Jesus, being the Prince of Peace, made that peace by between God and man by not just sitting back and, and trying to say, hey, things are going to get better, but by sacrificing himself upon the cross. Um, and Isaiah 52 um, talks about the, the blessing of those who bring the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. Um, yep. But they should be called sons of God. Um, uh, aren't, we, aren't we all sons of God anyways? All, all Christian sons of God? Is this something distinct or different? Well, I, I just read from First John where he says we are children of God. So yes, mm-hmm. we are. But the, the imagery here is uh, in that culture, uh, sons often did what their father does uh, most of the time. Uh, if your father was uh, a farmer, then you would be a farmer because you, you, you learn from him. We see this with Jesus and the uh, Pharisees. They say, we're children of Abraham. And he says, you're not children of Abraham. You're children yeah, of the devil because right. your actions are showing who your father really is. And so here Jesus is saying, if you strive to create peace between conflicting brothers, you are acting like your father god because that's what god does ultimately with all of us so we're here the emphasis is on you you'll be called sons of god because you're acting like god right. and that's what his children do they act like him let me let me take uh verse 10 and wrap it up with uh verse 11 and 12 because of the the uh, similarities but in verse 10 you do have the end of the inclusio there blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs and then 11 says you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's dealing with persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness in verse 10. And then verse 11, it's be, he, he says, blessed are, blessed are you because of me. Uh, persecuted, persecuted, insulted, falsely uh, said things about you because of me. Uh, is there a, is there a connection between verses ten with that righteousness and because of me? Absolutely. Think about the uh, the people he's talking to here, and and notice he goes from the third person speaking about yes. everyone to you, mm-hmm. to the, his crowd, and maybe the twelve and and others, but. 
that is interesting that he goes from the, uh, the, the broader to specific second person here. But think about his original audience. Some of these folks are going to follow him and they are going to be hated by the other Jews. Mm-hmm. And not just uh, the 12, but others will follow Jesus and they'll be hated and rejected by the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, the, the Sadducees, the priests. And Jesus knows that's coming. And he's saying, look, there, if, you, if you pursue righteousness the way I define it, not the way the hypocritical self-righteous Pharisees do, but the way I define it, uh, then those who are self-righteous and hypocritical are going to hate you. Mm-hmm. And they are going to try to kill you because they're going to kill me. And they're going to try to snuff out this entire uh, movement. And he says, that's exactly what God's people have done with all preachers of righteousness going back to the prophets. Uh, this was the, the, the great apostasy of the Jews as they pursued idolatry. They didn't want any prophet of God coming and calling them to repentance and showing them their sin. So, no, no, we're fine, and we hate you, we're going to kill you, stone you, whatever. And Jesus is saying, this will happen to you. You're, so righteousness there is directly tied to and parallel mm-hmm. to following Jesus, serving Jesus. And I don't get to decide what righteousness is. I don't get to make it up in my own mind. I don't care what the culture says. Jesus is the standard of righteousness. I, I do what he tells me to do and pursue him. And there are going to be people who don't like that. In our day, it might be people in the church, so to speak, and uh, people of God, at least in name, but certainly our culture is not going to like it. We stand for righteousness. And Jesus says, stand firm, hold to it. You'll be persecuted. You'll be oppressed. You'll be beaten down. When that happens, and this is, this is just mind-blowing, rejoice. Yeah. Rejoice and be glad, mm-hmm. kind of like the apostles in Acts four saying, "We count it, we rejoice that God would count us worthy mm-hmm. of being beaten for the sake of the gospel." Right, right. Hmm. He, he says, uh, "Be glad because your reward is great in heaven." Um, what kind of what, is this? Is this all the blessings of the Beatitudes he's talking about, or is he talking about something different in this reward in heaven? Yeah, as we look at the rest of Scripture, I, I'm convinced it's, a, it's something different, that uh, he is going to reward all of us for our mm-hmm. deeds, and the more persecution we suffered, the greater the reward, mm-hmm. and I don't know exactly what that's going to be. In some contexts, it seems to be greater responsibility in a bigger <laughs> city that we're ruling over with more work. But at, at any rate, we will be overjoyed. That's that praise I was talking about earlier that Peter discussed, when Jesus himself praises you and says, mm-hmm. let me tell everyone... The, the pressure, the persecution this man went through, and he stood fast. I want you all to applaud him. You know, mm. that, that kind of setting, mm-hmm. here's your reward for standing firm in the face of great persecution. That, regardless of whether or not that's actually what happens, that's the imagery that's used. Mm-hmm. And, and we all know how that is when our father, when someone that we respect, when someone who's an authority over us says, I want to point out what he went through to get here. He, he was faithful to his task. Right. Well done. That's what we're longing to hear. Right. But the, the key point is, this is future. It does not promise here you're going to get a reward now. No one right. may ever see or observe or care what you go through right now, but Jesus does, and he'll reward you in the time coming. So he, he, he kind of shifts here from the Beatitudes. He just dives in. Again, not a huge shift because of the fact that he's already started saying you, and then he's going to say it twice more. He goes in in in, in Help me with the relationship here between 
the Beatitudes and what we're getting ready to see now, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he's, he's verse 13 and 14 says, uh, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situate, situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives its light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. What's the relationship between being salt and light with the Beatitudes? Well, all of those things that he described there are not the way the world tells us to live. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those things are other-centered, and they're humble, and they're seeking what's right in God's eyes, not in the eyes of men, and the world hates that. And uh, so that we will stand out like crazy mm -hmm. the more we become kingdom-minded people. Mm -hmm. We expose unrighteousness just by being righteous. Uh, in, in their presence and, and doing these things. And that's what it means to be salty, uh, to, to be that preservation. Salt was used to preserve meat. They didn't have refrigerators back then. And if, if uh, you know, and there's a sense in which salt can't stop being salty, but it can be covered in dirt and muck and no longer preserved. You wouldn't put dirty salt on meat and expect it to preserve anything. If we become like the world, mm -hmm then we are no longer going to preserve the world in any sense from being as evil as it could possibly be. And we're not good for anything. So we need to do that. We need to be, um, we need to be, think, think of uh, a, a city out where there isn't artificial light. Uh, all it would take is any light at nighttime uh, shining up on the hills there to, to give some light to the whole valley, to the whole, whole region. Mm -hmm is what he's talking about. That's what we are. There's a lot of darkness around us. But mm -hmm. when we live like Jesus calls us to live here, uh, we can bring some light to this very dark region. And some people will see that and they'll rejoice and glorify God, uh, our Father in heaven. Now, light was a, a term that was used also in the Old Testament quite a bit. Um, if one visited the temple, one saw the lampstand. Um, uh one understood the scriptures talk about the Jews being a, a light to the Gentiles, um, to nations. Uh, and now Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. But then, of course, he's going to say, in, especially in John, that he is the light of the world. So uh, what's what's the connection there between all those? Yeah, so uh, again, it, their darkness is all around. Any light is going to have an impact. Uh, Jesus is the the ultimate light, the ultimate mm -hmm. fulfillment of all of those uh, lights in the Old Testament. But we're his people. We're mm -hmm. his, his subjects. We are his body. And so how does Jesus shine his light? How does he show people the way to live and the way of righteousness? He does it through his church, through, yep. through his people, through us. And so because we are in him, united with him and part of him, and he's in us, we are the light uh, now that he's gone away. Yeah. I, I, when I hear that, I reference uh, Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. So, you know, we, we think of all this uh, social justice stuff that's going on, and it, mm -hmm. it, it's sad because it's a complete distraction. Mm -hmm. 
certainly, if there is true racism going on, for instance, Christians should lead the way in saying that is reprehensible. We do not judge people and treat them poorly because of their ethnicity. That, right. we, we must stand firm for that. But what's really being promoted as racism now is not racism. It's, it's a political, right. it's just all this distraction. Same thing with feeding the poor, taking care of those in, in need, that kind of thing. It, it becomes this political tool and Christian, everybody gets all worked up politically about it. And yet we as Christians ought to be the ones showing mercy to those in need and not just saying, oh, you deserve to be like that. No, we should we should care. Now we've done episodes. We've talked about yeah. this. You know, the, the the guy in the in the corner asking the beggar in the corner, and how do we handle that? So there's there's wisdom and there's other aspects of this conversation. But historically, the church has always been concerned with poor folks and helping them if they truly are poor. Right. And, and the the mindset of this whole sermon, this text, is so different from the stuff out there in social media and the right. political stuff. And we, we just have to be wise here and not get caught up in that. At the same time, we need to be people who are showing the dark world what righteousness and kindness and gentleness and meekness and, and all those things really look like. Yeah, yeah. Um, that last that last verse stands out. Um, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Um, so our good works, um, there's a lot of people that— um, do philanthropy, um, who, who donate things to, to charity, who donate time and, and volunteer or, uh, but it's, it's, it's the Christians good works alone that point to, to God and give opportunity for, for testimony and witness. Um, and that should be our primary, our primary, uh, uh, means of good works as well. A lot of people try to separate good works from gospel proclamation. And I'm not sure how you can do that because the gospel proclamation is, the good work that Jesus was going about doing primarily. Um, so, all right, sir, uh, that wraps up our section for today. Uh, it's it's a it's a meaty passage. It's a rich passage. Uh, a lot of times, people spend uh, much much time meditating on these verses, and uh, it's it's. Uh, I remember as a kid being enthralled with these. In fact, I had a bookmarker. I think I may have told you this one time. I had that Ten Commandments bookmarker. I'm not sure if I did. When I was a kid, I had a uh, on, on one side it was Moses, uh, a picture of Moses. It looked exactly like Charles Heston, and uh, the Ten Commandments were listed underneath him. On the other side was a a picture of like a hilltop, and it was all flowery and pretty because Moses had like fire behind him. This one had a nice little hilltop, and then listed were the Beatitudes on the other side, um, and uh, so we we've got this even even. Though they're not New Covenant, who probably did that, they, they understand that there's a, a new Moses in town who's getting up and who's who's proclaiming the gospel kingdom message here. And as we go on, we're going to be hitting next week a, a topic that's going to be difficult for some, um, challenging, and no matter what camp you're in, uh, Covenant, Dispensational, NCT, uh, we're going to look at some passages on, on Christ's relationship to the law. So you're definitely going to want to tune into that. Uh, take your pencil, your paper, and your Bible, and be prepared to follow along with us. And um, uh, feel free to contact us if you have questions beforehand that you might want to ask on on the show as well. Uh, Doug, do you have anything final to say? No, just uh, seek the kingdom. It's, uh, it's a mm -hmm. rich passage, as you said. Yeah, and I think, I mean, as you already brought out, our our, our motto here across the crown is to, to live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. And I think, I'm pretty sure that you can see that's Jesus' point right there in this sermon. And those beatitudes right there. The, 
the blessed are the people who live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. That's, that's exactly what's going on, because there's a blessing that comes from that uh, in a way of life that we should be living, um, and uh, um, uh, the blessing from the Lord from that. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Folks, we want to thank you so much for joining us after such a long pause here. Um, of uh, about a month or more. Thank you for joining us again, and uh, we appreciate it if you share this podcast with others. Uh, it could be on social media. It could be on some type of um, message board that you have or within the, your church. Send it off to someone and say, hey, I think you might benefit from this or this might be helpful for, t- for, for you. Uh, feel free to give us a, a comment or review on the platform in which you listen to this on. And as always, feel free to give me a contact. It's Chris Fails, or excuse me, Chris at crosstocrown.org. Okay? All right, folks, we thank you so much for being here. Until next time, God bless. And we want to, of course, especially after today's episode, encourage you to live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. I ain't so-